with the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am joined by my usual set of friends. Hello, friends. Lauren Rowney, you're uh, doing some really cool stuff right now. Yeah, I'm home for the first day in a few days. I was working with the Aussie team, just observing um, how the DSs run the show. And it was really cool yesterday because we only had two riders, unfortunately, because um, Grace Brown and Sarah Gigante were out with injury. So we didn't have any elite women, but uh, I got to join the U23 boys. And that was a really fun experience uh, working with Zach Dempster and Rory Sutherland. And of course, Lucas um, Platt got silver yesterday and um, Carter as well had a great ride with the 15th place. So I learned a lot about time trialing, um, which we'll get into we'll it. Get into it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it in a second because we have a debate where Amy and I actually disagree. Amy, hello. Welcome. Hi. Great sweater. Thanks. It's from a charity shop circa 2012. Good for you. Um, To give everyone an idea of what that looks like. Do you want me to say what it is that we disagree on? No, we're going to get to it. All right, okay. Yeah. Gracie, hello. Yo-yo. I'm doing that in spirit of Chloe Hosking's Yo-yo, it's race day. (laughs) It's World's Week, y'all. Yeah, it is World's Week. We're going to talk about the time trial. We're going to get into some road race. And then we have a lot of transfers that we've kind of missed talking about in the last couple weeks. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Not only does Zwift offer incredible training and workouts, they also offer a community of like-minded people. From group rides to events, Zwift is full of people ready to help you reach your next goal, you know, by being supportive. Training alone at home can get old. On Zwift, you can ride behind people without being, you know, that person. We talked about it. We talked about it. (laughs) Chase down riders ahead of you for a little bit of extra motivation. Make new friends. Whatever your community goals on Zwift, Zwift has built an incredible platform where people can come together and enjoy riding bikes. It's one of my favorite things about Zwift, actually, is, is just the community. I've been doing the Zwift Academy And it's really cool to see how many people show up to the rides. Like there are a lot of people doing the Zwift Academy. It's really, really cool. Um, So thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode and uh, keep an eye out, keep an eye out for, well, definitely me and Gracie on Zwift. I don't know if the other two of you ride Zwift, Amy, I don't think you ride Zwift. You don't strike me as a Zwifter. I like to be outside. Yeah. That's what I kind of (laughs) thought. You've done some Zwifts, Amy. I've done some Zwift races. That was, um, how would I describe it? Disgusting. Maybe that's where wow, you went I've wrong. I've not even done a race. Yeah, you just need to get on some social rides. They're, they're more fun. Yeah, and, um, I've, I've been doing just the recovery ride for Zwift Academy. I, <laughs> oh, I thought you were trying to get a pro contract again. <laughs> I did have that scheme at one point. Oh, I did the Zwift Academy workout three today and I've just been useless all day. It's so bad. <laughs> The it's kind of nice. Workouts are really hard. Yeah, and it's like I had to reduce my FTP, and that was sad. But man, it's the workouts <laughs> are good. I love just that I don't have to think about it though. Like I would never push myself that hard right now without a goal. So <laughs> I think my FTP at the moment is probably like one hundred and seventy. Yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a slew of requests for the mammal hunting T shirt and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that went off. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I'm behind you guys. All of you people who are asking for the mammal hunting t-shirt, like, we want it too. So, Andy Van Bergen, um, get on it, please. I feel like we also upset some people, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> if yes. we did, I didn't hear about it. And I, <laughs> that's why. And my thoughts All right, let's talk Build about the... Bridge. the t- Let's talk about the time trial at Worlds. We're getting, we're going off on a tangent. So the time trial at Worlds was yesterday as we're recording this and it was, all right, we can just, time trials are awesome. Amy and I disagree. I love watching a time trial. I think it's really fascinating. It's fascinating to see how different people ride. It's fascinating to see the different setups and like how people approach it. And I feel like, Watching it yesterday, you know, the the person who won, which we'll get to in a second, she looked just so calm, like her 
she she wasn't like moving at all. I like she, her like upper body was just so still when she was riding. I feel like there was another uh the Olympics when Kristen Armstrong won in Rio, watching that and watching her just how like still her body was when she was racing that. I don't know. I feel like it's really cool to kind of watch that. And then there's some people you watch and their hips are moving a lot and there's like a lot of movement going on and um, you can kind of like watch them and be like, yeah, it doesn't look like they're having a great race. And I feel like it's really fun to kind of pick, pick out like stuff like that. I don't know. I love watching a time trial. Amy disagrees. Yeah. yeah. We're not speaking. So this is the disagreement. I am on Abby's side. Um, since also since being involved, like in the whole process, um, I could never time trial myself. So I think it was something I always disregarded. But um, now actually looking at the process and how much goes into preparing for a time trial, not to say that the same preparation doesn't go into road race, but it's actually very different. Um, it's amazing, actually. Uh, so I agree. And definitely watching time trialers that are just, some riders are just naturally super aero. Um, one of the U23 boys I was working with, um, Carter, has just got this incredible core strength from being a kayaker. So he literally just doesn't move. He's so smooth. And it was just amazing to be in the car behind watching him fly through these corners, like coming up at the very last moment, just popping up onto the bars to get through and then straight back down. It was, um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. So I agree. I think my um, perception of watching the time trials completely changed now. Yeah, I think um, the Volta this year, like that time trial, it's just I, I never think to watch time trials and I never regret, regret it when I actually do because they're often more entertaining than you expect and because of the way they're staggered as well, like you'll have like those contenders right at the end. So it gets more exciting. <laughs> I'll get yeah, my coat. <laughs> <laughs> Three gets one. It's not. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, well, this just says everything because you guys actually like ride, knew how to ride bikes. And I just like, I just want the drama, man. I'm just like. There is drama in a hotel though. Because like. Nah, but it's. There, I don't like know. Slow drama. It's a yeah. I don't. It's a like yeah. baseball in a way. You know, it's a long drawn out thing. What? Well, you won't catch me watching baseball <laughs> neither. So, I mean, or cricket, or golf, or anything slow. No one watches. So golf. I men's road um, race. People watch golf. People what? People be watching golf. Not me. That's but crazy. they do. I don't understand that. Uh-uh. But Playing it's more. Golf is boring enough. Watching it is. I'm sure people think that what cycling is pretty boring. It's just, I think the level of knowledge makes you appreciate something more. And, you know, like even watching Formula One, like just from watching the Netflix series made me enjoy watching the racing more because I understood more. Great. Maybe this is where I'm falling down with time trialing then, because I have never had an interest. Even I spent four years racing and I think I did like one time trial. And you come from like, like the country that is time trialing, right? Proudly, I have never done one. Yes. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just like trying to be too hipster about this. I'm, that's why I'm like, I'm from the UK and everyone loves time trialing. I don't love time trialing. <laughs> no, I think also, <laughs> I think also I just never wanted to make myself suffer that much and I couldn't ever do it. Hence why I never got anywhere. But I think I also just can't appreciate, like Abby and I were just talking before we started recording about tech and it seems too close to that. Like I am rubbish at tech. It doesn't really interest me. And it like all the stuff about like position and that sort of thing, like I can't really appreciate it and I don't really find it that interesting. So I guess that's another element of time trialing that I just kind of don't like a lot of people will watch it and be like, oh my God, look at that person's position. And I'm like, unless they're literally like upright catching all the wind, I'm like, I can't tell the difference between a good position <laughs> yeah. and a shit position. And I mean, this race in particular was very, if you got into the nitty gritty of tech and aerodynamics on your bike, then you had a massive advantage because it was a 30 kilometers pan flat race with a basically tail tailwind, like a tail kind of crosswind tail. for... 
Yeah, for the whole race. And so if you were kind of one of those people who spent a lot of time working on your time trial bike, then then you you did have an advantage on this course. And I think Ellen Van Dyke, she was just doing aerodynamic testing with Trek on the velodrome and just working on a new handlebar setup and everything. And so she came into this race and she she said after the race she felt like she could have won but she was a little nervous about Rusa because she has just been having such an incredible year and I think we kind of talked about it when we talked last I can't remember if we previewed the time trial anyway it was we all knew kind of, there was really two riders going into the time trial that had um a leg up on everybody else that we were we were watching and we knew could could really win the rainbow jersey and that was uh, Annemiek Van Vluten and Marlon Russo and Ellen Van Dyke after the European championships definitely put herself into that conversation, but I still didn't really think that she would be on the same level as, as the other two, just because she's raced a little bit less. She's been a little bit less present. Um, but Holy crap. She, she went off a lot earlier than them. She had an hour to wait before they came through, but her time from the beginning when she went off was, I mean, almost two minutes faster than Rihanna Marcus, who was in the hot seat at the time, and who still finished with a great result. Um, and yeah, Rusa and, and Annemiek Van Vluten finished second and third, and then fourth was a, another minute back from Annemiek Van Vluten. So those three are still, you know, up there as the best time trialists at the moment. Um, but it was a it was a fast race. It was, I think the average speed of the time trial was the fastest world's time trial that there's ever been Mm -hmm. thanks to the course and also advancements in technology and, and a cross tailwind. Yeah, for sure. I think there were so many elements that played into Ellen's performance. And I think the, the nature of the course and the tailwind really suited her physiology and capabilities and it was really cool to see her, you know, just take that chance and run with it and have put so much work in. And she's probably, even though she hasn't had as many runs on the board this year, she's probably just a bit fresher because she had COVID earlier in the year and she didn't get to go to the Olympics and she was, you know, quite disappointed about all of that. Like the classics is, you know, where her strengths are and she was really targeting the Olympics as well. So she's really kind of just put it all into this world's race and, it's really awesome to see her be able to pivot and to lift mentally because she had that hunger left instead of just being flattened by it. I mean, yeah, you don't often see um, eight years between winning world championships, right? She's had that hunger for a long time to get that, that title back and I think that's what was so beautiful about the win yesterday and how emotional she was and her partner was there, which I always just love, the, the embracing between partners um because they've both been through it right like the whole process you're living with that person Abby I guess you you understand how it feels um but yeah it was it this there wasn't and she said it in in um the interviews before that this has been this is her course and she knew this was her opportunity and um I'm really excited for her for the last two races I'm not sure she's racing Britain but um She's definitely my number one for Roubaix now. I've got a question for you, Lauren. Um, you were teammates with Ellen mm-hmm. a long time ago in Lululemon. Is that right? Yeah. Um, she's kind of spoken a lot about um, her, just battling a bit of a lot of self-doubt really and confidence and um, believing in herself and not putting so much pressure on herself like that was a long time ago that you were teammates. Um, Do you remember her struggling with that stuff back then? Yeah, I remember the first training camp with with Ellen in 2012. Um, She had actually um, started working with someone new and when she showed up to camp, she'd actually dropped a lot of weight, um, like in a very healthy way, and um, she was in a good place. So 2012 was that year that she really started coming up and then the second year I was teammates with her in 2013, that's when she become, became world champion. But I just remember that year that she, the lead up to the Worlds, was when I think she got second in Drenta 
um, and really the confidence was building and she was really our top rider on the team. She was learning that she could climb because for the longest time, even at camp in, say, 2011, she was in the mindset that she couldn't climb and then she did incredible things in Trophia Binda. And so, I mean, if, if you have a world champion that has, like anyone that's young and listening to this, Self-doubt, I think, is a very normal thing to have as an athlete. We're not all robots and we all don't have this. Not everyone has this incredible confidence behind them, but it's, it's all about believing in the process, believing in yourself, having that right team around you. And I think that's just what's sort of happened with Ellen. And, I mean, yeah, okay, there's been eight years between winning world titles, but there have been some incredible athletes coming through the ranks in those years. Um, so it, it's very special to see. Yeah, I'm really, I was just so stoked to see her win and she was so emotional. And from the outside, she seems like a really confident, really self-assured, t- super tough. Like if you're shoulder to shoulder with her in a classic, she kind of a bit scared and intimidated by her. And following her wheel is just next level crazy hard. She's so strong, but she's actually super nice. So it, I think I really like that she's been vulnerable enough to say that she's struggled with some of these feelings because she certainly doesn't seem like that from the outside and I think that's really helpful for a lot of writers to know even someone like her, you know, has to really work at it and and try to to believe in herself and surround her with people that help her do that. Um, One of my favourite Ellen memories was I had a I was in that massive pileup in the Tour of Britain a couple of years ago when, like, the whole road was just, you know, blocked out with everyone crashing. And I just was having a bad day mentally and I crashed and I just I just had to stay at the back of the peloton for the rest of the race. I was pretty much just sobbing. And she drifted back and she saw me and she, her and I are always, like, bumping elbows at the front of the peloton because we're always, like, trying to get good position. And she just looked at me and she's, she asked me if I was okay because she knew that it's not, it wasn't like me to be at the back for the whole race. So I just thought that was a really good show of sportsmanship as well. So she's a nice person as well as a bloody fast bike rider. <laughs> And how cool is it that next year she's not she's not going to wear or like starting at Perry Roubaix she's not going to wear the Truck Segafredo jersey in any event because she has the European Champ jersey now and also the World Championship time trial jersey. So she's really as a domestique who has for so long kind of put her own results on the line to help other people. She's uh she's had a quite a few quite an amazing couple of weeks yep that's a good way to you know kick COVID in the butt (laughs) (laughs) like her and Chloe I think are doing really well with that turning that year around just because of COVID so good on them yeah and they're really kind of turning it around for the entire Trek Segafredo team because they've we've talked a little bit we've been a little critical of them um in the past that their their only top rider all year was really Elisa Longo Borghini. I mean, Lizzie's not had um, the year that I think she was hoping for uh, with illness in the in the spring and then kind of uh, overtraining that really affected her summer. Um, and between you know, I think Elisa Elisa really missed having that kind of backup uh, in a lot of the races this summer and and. Trek Segafredo maybe didn't have as good of a year. Well, they definitely didn't have as good a, of a year as they did last year. Um, and yeah, the the performances of of Chloe and Ellen are is are both really kind of putting them on the map again uh, coming into the next races. I mean, I think for Perry Roubaix, which we'll talk about, you know, next week, it's that's <laughs> going to be such a weird race to predict because we just like have no idea what could possibly happen. Um, but Trek Segafredo looks like they have a really good shot for that one at this point, looking at, you know, who would potentially be on their roster. Interesting that actually like the, I mean, both Ellen's big wins were with the Dutch team and not with Trek. I guess because she, well, no, I was going to say she's normally a domestique, but on the Dutch team, that's probably true too. 
Yeah. She's also probably, yeah. (laughs) You know what's really interesting to me? And I feel like this is like a really controversial opinion. And it's probably because I never got to do like a world championships or anything for the U.S. Nor would I really be that um, uh, proud. (laughs) If I was representing Canada, maybe I would have been a little bit more so. But... um, (laughs) but uh i mean okay but that's because the u.s like really gets shoved around in the peloton i've done i did enough races with a national team to like never ever ever want to wear a u.s national team jersey in any peloton in europe ever like they really get picked on it's i don't know if it's like normal i was gonna say something (laughs) but i'm not gonna say it so I think it's, sorry, it's just that from experience, it's uh, just a reputation that, I mean, usually it's the U.S. national team in in just general races isn't like, um, you know, you're not generally having your Taylor Wiles, your Ruth Winders, your Leah Thomas. It's riders coming over to to experience Europe and have the opportunity um, to race over here. So, the pro teams go, oh, okay, we know that these riders probably haven't raced in Europe. If they don't recognize you as well, then they're not going to give you the space. And at least um, they show up generally to say like the formerly energy walk tour. Um, I think Alison Tedrick, is that her last name still? Um, uh, yeah. Yes. Um like I knew to stay clear of riders like that, no offense, but I just knew she was either going to go out the back or off the front pretty much. To be fair, Abby, I think anyone in any national team Jersey for those exact reasons that Lauren just said, we avoid. <laughs> yeah. And, and the smaller teams like, too. Yeah. Like the smaller it's, teams are in the yeah. same boat. I don't want to sound like a snob, yeah. but anyway, not, not the point, not the point, not the point. <laughs> <Okay>. My point was, <laughs> my point was the worlds are really interesting and it's the same with Europeans and stuff where um, the the national teams are the ones that get together and race and some national teams do it a lot better than others. But the trade teams are the ones that benefit. Like Ellen Van Dyke won yesterday in the Dutch team colors, but it's Trek Segafredo who is going to be able to plaster her image in the world championship jersey, like all over everything next year. And they're going to get to put it all over their social media that she's the world champion and she won on their bike and they did all the prep work for her. They did everything going into the the geometry of the bike and all the setup and everything, all the aerodynamic testing. Trek Segafredo did it. But like you race for your national team. And I think for the time trial, it's a little bit different. But when it goes, when it comes to the road race, it's like so interesting to me that you put all these riders together who are on different trade teams and they all race for the rainbow jersey, which means that the dynamics are super weird because everybody wants to win. And only a very select number of people can kind of put that aside and race for someone of their same nationality. And then at the end of the day, you know, one person stands on the podium, which I feel like we've talked about that before, how like it's a team sport and the whole team should get to stand on the podium. Like just don't have a second and third on the podium. Just have like, just have the whole team go up there. And it's just ridiculous that it's not a thing in what is touted as a team sport. Anyway, that's a different tangent, but, (laughs) but like one person wins. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, they, they race for their nation and, and everything, which is really cool. And I think people who are really proud to race, um, for their, for their nation, for these races are, it's like a whole new level of, um, of like excitement when you get to represent your country, but then it's the trade team that gets, that reaps all the rewards. And so then there's like this weird thing about, you know, having your trade team teammates be in different nations and being in the race and stuff like that, which it's just very interesting to me. There's not like what other sport does it like that? What other sport has like puts everything aside for multiple races a year to race against who is who you're getting paid by? Yeah, it is weird. And I actually really liked the trade team team time trial because that was really the only race where you could do something as the trade team that you've raced with all year. Like it's kind of it doesn't make sense that you <laughs> don't do a world champion road race 
as a trade team as well. So it is very strange, I reckon. Mm. But, like, you can agree, Gracie, once you go into the national team and you're in that environment, it's, like, a very special place to be. And, like, at least in my experience, everyone was, like, all in for the same goal. And this is a discussion we were having this week that um, the new European manager of Cycling Australia believes that the national team for these big championships needs to spend a bit more time together, um, like the Dutch do actually, because they have multiple national camps throughout the year. Generally, the riders on those camps are your riders that you've seen at major championships. So they have that opportunity to click a little bit more, whereas like with the Aussies, we just come in, say, five days before the event or something, and we've raced against each other all season, um, and then you've got to sort of find your groove together as a team. Um, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's been on the table for the national team for many years now. I, I remember every year the last five years that they've said that we're going to do more together as a national team and it just never eventuates because at the end of the day, you're not going to go to many other races, like say small French races or whatever as a national team because your trade team's not going to release you because you have other obligations or a camp or something with your trade team and the calendar is just so packed now there's no opportunity to do a camp as a team because you can do a camp on your own you can go to altitude in your own time when that suits your calendar but that's not going to suit everyone else's calendar it's almost impossible to get a national team for Australia in my experience together so I I hope that they can figure out how to do it because I think it's really important and uh, no, I, I, I do agree. It's a really special feeling to show up to a big event and wear the Aussie colours and I'm sure for most countries it's a really special feeling and maybe some countries need to improve that culture a little bit, make it a bit more special. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to separate tradition from, you know, what is actually a reality for this sport. So Yeah, that is like the... <laughs> it's like every single thing, every single complaint, complaint and uh, criticism we have about cycling is just like the tradition of the sport and how people refuse to grow and mm. and change and and make make the sport better. Mm. But this is how we always do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it it is like there's a lot of cultural things that go into it and um, like um, just the different cult different different countries have different mindsets in general like some countries you know the u.s loves an underdog that's like that's like a thing about the u.s that every time we record the weekly podcast and we pick people for races kaylee and dane and i are always picking the underdog who like probably isn't gonna win but it would be like really emotional to see them win versus like other like Ronan and Shadi always have a well okay Shadi's a special case <laughs> but yeah like it's it's interesting like I think the the mindset of different uh nationalities definitely plays into that and then you also have teams of riders who have grown up through the juniors together and were teammates at one point and that definitely changes it as well um so I think that that's like, I think the Danes are a really special example of a lot of them have grown up together and like have been racing with each other for years and years. They all are a lot better at racing um, as a team than say the Americans who have um, new people coming up every year who are keen to take spots. And I mean, we, we see it every year with the Olympic cycle when the U.S. team is announced and there's multiple people vying, like trying to get people kicked off the team for themselves. <laughs> so like, it's obvious that there's, there's different um, mentalities within different nations. Also, did you know, fun fact, the people going to the worlds for the USA have to pay their own entry fees, lodging. I did and hear travel. this from a rider. I, uh, I did hear this too. <laughs> they have to pay. 750 euros and lodging yeah. and travel to go to the worlds. That's the whole, that's like the elite women. That's like, you have, you get picked. You're like, oh, you're chosen. You're, you get to race worlds. Congratulations. Here's the bill. 
And who's going to go to Worlds for the U.S. having paid over a grand to be there and race for other people? Really selfless people. <laughs> like, yeah, like Taylor Wiles. That's the only one. <laughs> the only person who can put aside, you know, like. And wait, let's, on the topic of Taylor, she is flying. Yeah, she really is. She was riding yeah. so well in Belgium. I mean, second place in Belgium for someone of her skill set is really impressive. And there were some good riders there. That would have been very yeah. validating for her after many years of feeling like she's banging her head against the wall in that country. It's so cool to see. Yeah, and just this year with not being selected for for uh, the Olympics and everything and um, the toll that, that kind of took on her mentally having been preparing for that for five years um to kind of sign off the season with a result like second in belgium and and now she's going to the worlds and i i'm it's really really cool it's she's i would pick her for like an early an early break to kind of like be up there and try to but we'll get to the we'll get to the road race anyway ridiculous that the u.s is requiring them to pay i mean that's just for a country as big as them, um, and I know how much the no, maybe they I'm not pump too much of that, their budget into just... certain riders. I don't know. Yeah, but they didn't pay the staff that went to Tokyo. Oh, even like the staff that went to Tokyo, they were like, "You get a ton of cl- free clothes." I'm gonna sell sell that online and Yay. use that to pay my mortgage. Yeah, and and so they didn't even like. I don't know how if they just have like no budget but i don't believe that for a second and they're like to not pay the staff to go to tokyo is is ridiculous and then to ask the riders to pay so much is also mm-hmm. just like un- just it's just wild to me yeah and it's not like the U- team usa hasn't had good results over the years like Anne and Eben, Kirsten Armstrong, Corinne Rivera, Ruth Winder, the list goes on. Like these girls are getting wins in the biggest races in the world. Like, actually, can we? I don't understand yeah. why don't they have any kind of funding model? Anne and Eben, she broke her pelvis fourth. a month ago. Yeah, that's crazy. And she got fourth mm-hmm. yesterday, and and not a course that suits her. We were just talking about, you know, the the mm. body type and the the type of rider that does well on this course. She's tiny. Mind you. I mean, she's aerodynamic. Yeah, she's I mean, like a bull. Remco is tiny, tiny and so is Anamique and they both ran a bronze. Um yeah. so mm-hmm. Amber did win the worlds in Qatar though, and that was dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another but incredible that she could come back yeah. from that broken pelvis yeah. to even race. I mean, she couldn't even walk like a month and a week ago. Another impressive ride, maybe I'm just being biased, but I think Joss Loudon did a yes. donker of a ride. And it looks good for the fact that later this month she's doing the hour record or she'll be mm-hmm. attempting the hour record. So... Honorable mention that. Where, do you know where she's attempting that? Yeah. Grenchen, Switzerland. Ah, uh-huh, cool. I might have got that wrong. It's Switzerland. For Put sure. it on your calendar, folks. 30th, I think. <laughs> Another hour record. Amy's favourite, <laughs> an hour of time trialling. Yeah. yeah. Amy, what would you rather watch, a, a road time trial or an hour record? Look at her. Look at her face. <laughs> I'll watch a circuit race instead. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I rode a I road time trial, I'm afraid. <laughs> no. Sorry, Joss. I watched Evelyn Stevens' hour record and it was it was really boring. <laughs> for the last three months. Right, thank you then. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the road race. Now that we've gone on multiple tangents, um, Amy, do you want to talk us through the course at all? About About half an hour ago? No, but now, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> um okay so it's 157.7 kilometers long 0.7 is crucial 1047 lots of sevens um meters of elevation which is like pretty flat um there's a 56k lead in so because it's world champs there's obviously circuits um 
like loops. Um, so there's a 56k lead in, which is relatively flat to the first of two circuits. So there's a local circuit, which they do one point one and a half times. Um, that's 15 and a half Ks with four kind of short, sharp climbs. The longest is only 975 meters long. Um, so I guess you'd describe that as like a bit rolling and whatever. I don't know. Shut up, Amy. Um, Can I jump then- in here about Leuven for a second? Please do. Okay. that That's like a quick course. It, it has so many corners in it. Um, we'll get to what the finishing line Lauren- but you know this circuit you've seen it in person no i haven't but i've oh. looked, i've studied it a little bit i'm <laughs> oh, sorry okay i was trying to pie off my responsibility no i'm just jumping in there to say <laughs> that it's, it's gonna be like a criterium um if you really right. look at how many corners there are love it excellent get onto the flandrian loop <laughs> thanks i will yeah one of those um six climbs in pretty quick succession um all very steep it looks grim so if you make it through that though you're laughing because then you're back on the local loop the other one two and a half times around that boy um and then it's a slight incline to the finish so basically well yeah we'll get on to contenders but that that's that's it it's a it's kind of straightforward i guess just like two loops so like anyone who's kind of hoping to not go up against the Mm -hmm. fast sprinters um is going to want to make that flandrian loop real hard so people with numbers kind of have the advantage on that but if a group comes into the finish together like a small group you'd expect lot of kapeki um Corinne Rivera is going quite well and has a kick on her. Uh, Lizzie um, Dignan could go well. Lizzie Dignan, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boss. How did we not Boss and following? Yeah. And yeah. That's, don't forget Chloe. Uh, yep. Chloe Hosking? Yeah, for sure. And she's she's really riding well right now, too. And there's some really fast Italians. Emma Norsgaard? Yeah. I think it's it's very much so it's a it's a race in three parts. So you've got that run in to Leuven and then um, obviously you have the Flandrian loop and then you have the finishing circuits. And if you don't want someone like, say, Chloe performing well, her legs have to be pretty dead by the time she reaches the finish. So even if she does get through that Flandrian loop and onto the Leuven circuits, um, for those sprinters, you really want to soften them up. I don't know. What, what do you think, Gracie? Yeah, look, it's only a thousand, just over a thousand meters of climbing, which is really not a lot over that distance. But like these climbs are punchy and steep. And say you had to do 15, 30 second efforts in a training session, like that's hard. And if the these climber types or or a team that has numbers makes it hard, like of yeah, your legs will definitely be softened up by 160 kilometers. And it might be a different sprint to a to an all-out very rapid bunch sprint. It can be, you know, a a sprint where someone who has that great engine like Vollering, who's quick but you know isn't necessarily the fastest, can still win at the end of the day. A bit like a Flanders finish almost, you know, like that's never really a proper sprint, even if it's a group of 10. Like it's it's an unpredictable winner often it's like a drag race to the finish flanders if if a small group comes and it's just whoever has that last bit you know at the end um we've seen it actually with vanderpool how you would have said he would have in a normal situation been an asgreen but he just died um and also uh something to go back on is the fact that Positioning in that Leuven course and having a really strong team is going to be so important because of all those corners. So if you get caught out and you're fighting and chasing for, what is it, two and a half laps at the end, Amy? Yeah. Like you're going to be screwed. So um, it is a hard little circuit. Um, I'm checking it out on Thursday with the Australian team. So I'll have a little bit more insight into what the discussions have been, but 
I know most of the peloton has actually been out there to see it to see it because um, the Ardennes weren't so those classics weren't so far from from that course. So um, positioning will be just key there, really, um, and it's going to be a criterium finish, in my opinion. Yeah, I see like a group of 20, 20 to twelve or a solo. Because you can never count out a solo. Yeah, well, on a technical circuit like that at the end, like if there's hesitation and you have someone with an engine, for example, like Russo, we've seen her hold off the bunch. You know, sometimes that's what happens in these races, just that moment of hesitation. Maybe um, there's a lack of numbers of representation. I don't think we're going to see that with the Dutch, to be honest. But um, it will be interesting to see. I think the Italian team has a lot of depth. Um the French, like actually going back to the time trial, Juliette Labou had a great time trial. Um, Cordon, she... Which is awesome to see her riding well after. She had like a horrendous crash at the uh, Sarah Design Yeah, and she's bounced back and that wasn't so long ago. So it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited for this race because it's different to a normal world championships where if I think back, like you do multiple circuits on the same circuit, whereas this is a bit more of, yeah, a classics race in a sense that, okay, we go out to this Flandrian loop, but you you just do a loop and then you come back into Leuven and do a couple of loops. It's not like 10 times around the same circuit and we can predict that every time we hit, for example, the Kalberg in the 2012 Worlds, like you knew that's where the race would be won and lost. Yeah. Should we make picks? I'm not going first. <laughs> and I'm going to go for Australia. Well, I, I, just, I just keep saying Chloe's name because I'm a, I'm a Chloe fan, so I'm picking her again because I actually really believe that she can win this and she's been on the hunt for a rainbow jersey for a long time and you don't get that many shots as a sprinter these days. And she's shown she's in form, so I'm, I don't think everyone's going to pick yeah. her out as the outright. But like you said, uh, Abby, you guys love her. She's definitely not an underdog, but she wouldn't be the outright favourite for this, right? So I don't think people necessarily be looking at the Aussies. Um, Again, it's all falling probably on the the shoulders of the Dutch. And Kapeki, I think she would have a lot of pressure on her in a home world championships and she's very capable to win this. For sure. I think Kapeki is like... Probably a huge favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Home home race, and she's riding well. She just won. Uh, uh, she just won the final stage of Sarah Does It Challenge. Um, like hands down, was the best in that kind of finish. So I think yeah, she's she's kind of the out and out favorite. I would really love to see Corinne win. Uh, just given the year she's had, well, the last couple years, but mostly this year. But I don't, as I've re- alluded to just recently, I don't think she has the team um, to back her just because of the dynamics of the U.S. So I feel like my pick is, my like head pick is Kapeki and my mm-hmm. heart pick is Corinne. Amy? Oh, you want me to... <laughs> Amy's got to pick Lizzie Dygan yep. now because we've all just picked our. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lizzie Dygan, done, bang. I was going to say Kopecky, but we were all going to say Kopecky, so, yeah. Is she your heart pick, Kopecky, and then your, no, your heart pick is Dygan. Dygan, right, because. That would be quite the comeback because she's really not had a great year. I don't know if it's a bit too, I don't know, yeah, nah. Her, yeah, <laughs> Lizzie, Lizzie. I cried last time she won. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like just getting into cycling, and I was like, "Oh, this is sick." There's a British woman just won the world championship. Oh, that's nice. I remember the last time Emotion. an American won the the world championship, or, or an Australian. For the like, women, it was look. I don't, I, yeah, we'd have to Google that. It was a long time ago. Yeah, that would in, that would require googling, for sure. 
In, Should we talk about some transfers? Too much I just for a fact check. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if Voss won. I just I love Voss, oh, yeah. and there's rumors that she's also retiring, so it might be her fairy tale ending, which could be cool. Yeah. Although I don't know how I feel about someone winning and then like bouncing, because then we won't see the Rainbow Champs jersey in any races. Yeah, true. But we don't know that. That's definitely. It's definitely just a rumor. Yeah. And, and I honestly, um, I feel like it, I would be shocked if she retired at the end of this year without any kind of, um, like, without any indication. Mm-hmm. I think she's definitely going to race next year, but I... She gave an interview where she was like, I'm still really motivated, even though I've won, like, literally everything. So, I mean... Also, what about Marta Cavalli? Did we mention... Did you guys mention her while I was dealing with a barking I think that dog? she's kind of... I. I She's been having an incredible year, but I think that the fact that she's climbing so well has taken away from her sprint a little bit. Um, like she's an asset to the to the Italians for sure, but I feel like just given how they raced at the European Championships, Elisa Longaborghini completely turned herself inside out for Cavalli, and I was disappointed that Cavalli didn't try anything after that. Like Elisa was on the front for so long driving the pace to bring back that group that was out front or Ellen at that point. And Cavalli didn't even, you know, try to attack or do anything. It was a really weird tactics. And, and I was, I was kind of just bummed that, um, that Cavalli didn't, you know, reward Elisa's hard work with any kind of, uh, action. Um, but because Elisa worked so hard for Cavalli at the Europeans, I see them riding for Elisa for the most part. Um, especially like given that she's such an aggressive rider, uh, if the finish doesn't suit her skills, like she's, she's ab- she could absolutely go solo and she's riding super well. Like n- maybe not as well as she was in the spring, but she's still, you know. But the- the Italians Doing have Balsamo right and Bastinelli, so. Yeah, I think, like, if it, I feel like I, I can split the Italians into two groups where you've got, like, Balsamo and Bastinelli for the final and Aliza and Cavalli to try something on the Flandrian loop and maybe throw some late race attacks if possible. Um, and I, but I see them kind of putting most of their eggs in the Aliza basket hoping she can get away. And then Balsamo is kind of the backup um, because she's such a good sprinter. And in a sprint like that, I think she could really, I don't see her winning, but I could see her, you know, in the top five, maybe on the podium. Watch she wins and I have to, you know. (laughs) But, but yeah, I think that that's kind of how the Italians are going to play it. But a race in which Anamika is starting and no, and we don't think she's a favorite. Like, how often does that happen? Oh, I think for sure she's going to try to go solo. But she's not going to do it. Yeah, but look what she just did. You can never, ever, ever discount her. We talked about that. We've never, ever. Not really. Because how many times have we bit our tongue? Never discount her. That could be a t shirt in itself. <laughs> and we didn't talk about Anna Vanderbregen, actually, but I think you guys had a bit of a chat before the podcast that she'll be there. Yeah, we were talking about whether or not she's going to race. I think um, she'll line up. Because she didn't race the time trial. I think, yeah, so I think my, my personal opinion is that she isn't riding super well, but, you know, who cares? She's had, like, Anna she Vanderbregen. is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. She's had such an amazing career. I think that like she'll line up, she'll race. Um, if she does, she'll, she'll do it for her team. She'll be riding for, for Vollering, especially I feel like because of all the hard work Vollering's put into all Vanderbregen's wins this year. Um, but also just for the Dutch team, like they're so good at riding. Well, except for the Olympics, they're really good at riding together. Um, and, and kind of working with each other. So I think for sure, if she races, she's not racing for the win. She's racing for, for other people, but I also would not be surprised to see her not race. And I don't think it would be because she has, uh, that she doesn't think she can win. I don't think she's the type to be like, you know, 
I don't think I've got a chance. I'm out. Because I think that she's realized quite a long time ago that she probably doesn't have a chance at this world's. Um, also, I don't think she would... Uh, she she doesn't seem the type to me to like win the rainbow jersey and then retire and leave us without a champ. I think she loves yeah. cycling too much to do that to the Peloton. So I think that, yeah, I, I'm curious to see if she does race. Um, that's kind of... She did. She hasn't said she's racing. She, when she said she wasn't racing the time trial, she said she was, you know, keep focusing on the road race, but she never actually said, like, I am definitely racing the road race. There's been no firm Anna Van der Bregen is racing on Saturday from the Dutch or from Van der Bregen. We'll have to wait and see, huh? Yeah. We will see. Who else have we not mentioned? I mean, the Germans... Will be interesting. Like Leanna Lippert is riding super well right now. More course though for Lisa Brenauer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think they would ride for, for Brenauer, but I think like again, like the Italians, you know, Lippert in that Flandrian loop is going to be like really crucial, um, just to like follow anything if it goes. But she was riding super well at the last couple of races. I mean, I think it's a wide open race. Like we've basically thrown out. 10 names at this point, but there's a bunch of other riders who we haven't mentioned. Like it's a wide open race, which is awesome. Uh, it just means that it's going to be a really exciting world championships. Yep. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Should we talk about just finally, before we end the podcast, we just, we've, we've really fallen behind on our transfers, <laughs> which is Lauren and I's favorite thing. <laughs> we really haven't, We've not been on top of it with everything else going on. So we've got like a couple really interesting transfers. We just talked about Elisa Balsamo. She will be going to Trek from Valcar Travel and Sire. Si- why do I always want to say Silence? Yeah, I know. <laughs> because <laughs> I know why. <laughs> uh, from Valcar Travel and Service, which she's been on that team for quite a long time. And she's really a promising rider who's had some incredible results. So I think going to Trek is going to be interesting, interesting for her. I'm excited to see how that goes. Cause she's going from a team where she's very much like top dog to a team where she's going to be, um, not like the bottom, bottom Charlotte cool is going to team DSM. Uh, she's very, a very promising rider. So DSM, once again, kind of picking up another, young talent um who could have a very strong career they love to do that and then hold on to them for five years <laughs> yeah <laughs> sign them for a six-year contract and like suck all the stuff <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. um <laughs> joss loudon and julie leth are both going to uno x which is huge this team just kind of keeps picking up um these like outliers that are really really strong riders that are on like either on uh bigger teams but are always kind of working for other people or like joss loudon really exciting to see uno x kind of continue to bolster their uh their roster because they're a brand new team it's going to be interesting to see what they can do but everything i've heard you know from from inside the team is that the team is super committed to women's cycling and and making that team a top team by treating the riders really well. So I'm excited to see that. And then finally, Canyon and Stram picked up three riders. Very fascinating. I guess they're losing four that I know of. Hannah uh, Ludwig, Hannah Barnes, and one other uh, that I can't say yet. And then, and then probably someone else. They cycle through the Zwift Academy girls like pretty quickly. They, they keep them for like two years and then. Harris has done well off that though. Yeah, she really has. She's probably one of the most impressive Zwift Academy um, graduates winners. Anyway, Soraya Paladin and Pollyanna, uh, Paul, Paul, Paulina <laughs> Royarkis are both going from Live Racing over to Canyon Stram. And then uh, I'm going to butcher this. Cherie. Bosiat is is also going over to Canyon Stram. So they're really picking up. I mean, they've picked up Soraya Paladin is an incredible climber. And um, I've not heard great, great things coming out of the live racing camp, actually. Um, 
as far as the the um, leadership on that team, you know, from the management um, kind of perspective. No. So I'm not really surprised to see so many riders leaving. Speaking of transfers, though. They have they they've not announced any new riders, but they are going to have a team next year because Liv signed on for like three. Georgia has gone there as well. Bronzini. Yeah, Georgia Bronzini is going to direct them next year. So I'm yeah. kind of surprised that Georgia's leaving Trek. Are you guys surprised? Uh, yeah, mm, I'm not super surprised because I think her and Ina both have really strong personalities, mm-hmm. and um, th- that. It, that doesn't always gel well together. Yeah, I agree with you, Abby. Yeah, I, but I think um, I it looks that. like Canyon <laughs> is definitely building the the climbing aspect of their team now, which will will be interesting for next year because I think you've mentioned it before, Abby, that sometimes Cassie doesn't have the support that she needs um, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've already got, you know, they have a handful of really good younger riders who just who have the legs to be there but just maybe don't have the savvy quite yet like um wow Elise Shabi my brain just completely blanked Elise Shabi you know has proved that she's really promising this year I think that she just needs a little bit more experience and yeah Ella Harris as well incredible climber but just needs a little bit more practice in the bunch um but they're building up a a team of really exciting riders and I think that that kind of goes in line with the tactics that they've been showing this year they're just going to add to that you know the more riders they have to kind of throw throw at the race in a in a in the way that they have been it paid off for them a couple times this year and i think um with the additions of of these three they're just going to have more options to kind of make the race more exciting and the more that they try to throw things at the race the more chances they have at winning the all of their like success this year was all when the, it was kind of a younger group of riders and they just went like, blah, attack. <laughs> and that was kind of when they got most of their success this year. I mean, if you think about it, Shabi in Switzerland and uh, Alina um, Amielusik. I'm on the struggle bus today with like names and remembering things, um, at the, the race in, in Belgium that was early, that, that win was just like such an exciting win, but the team, the whole team that day was really exciting. There's been like multiple instances where it's not been necessarily Kasia up there kind of, um, being herself. It's more been the rest of the team trying things. All right. That was a lot. We covered a lot today. Yeah. Anybody got anything else? Um, Just like a a lesser known transfer was like a stagiaire signing from Australia Um, and and going back to the Valcar team. I I don't know, just from observation, it seems like actually a really nice environment. People seem happy there. People are coming out of it, going to bigger teams, which is, you know, a good sign in my opinion if like we've seen Tennille Campbell go on to Green Edge and have a nice you know progression in her career and that was because she was happy in Valkar as well and um, there's a, a young Australian female rider Lizzie Stannard that has just jumped the <laughs> the ocean from here to go to Europe and to do a few races this year and she'll be staying with them next year and she's got some really good pedigree her brother Rob Stannard is in the world tour in the men's and yeah it's 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 more difficult nowadays as an Australian to get overseas because of our COVID restrictions it's really hard to be um, allowed to fly anywhere so for a team to give you a shot to give you a contract which means you can apply to leave our country is actually a really big deal and there's less and less um, young riders from here going over to Europe and we've got a great you know a bunch of Aussie women that are at the top of the sport, but we don't have that many coming through from the bottom. So I was really pleased to see her get an opportunity with Valkar and I really hope that she can make the most of it. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Lauren and I talked a lot, Lauren Kitchen and I talked a lot last week about the problems with the development pathways and getting from people coming from Australia and the USA, like who aren't right in the European bubble um, to kind of join those teams. So really great to see. All right. Before one more thing before we sign out, because this has been a little bit of a long episode, but this is a really important thing to mention. So over the weekend, Wade Wallace, founder of Cycling Tips, did an interview um, with the guy who runs MTB Afghanistan about the 30 women who are stuck in Afghanistan and uh, we're trying and he's he's trying to get them out and get them placed in a safe place. And we've talked about it a little bit already. And, uh, we, we played that one audio clip for you guys, um, a couple episodes ago, but it's, this article is, is really moving. I'll put it in the show notes and I highly recommend that, um, you check it out, but on cyclingtips.com right now, if you just go on the website, there's a fundraiser and we're trying to help raise money to get these women out of Afghanistan. At the moment, we're trying to raise 500K, so that's about 6, 6.5K per person. Some people have family members or dependents that they're trying to get out with them. Um, but this is, uh, as the news progresses, you know, we, we pick up new news and, and old news kind of gets shoved to the back. But this is something that we can't let get kind of sucked into the news cycle. It's important that this stays at the front of people's minds. So I'm just bringing this up again. Um, and, and I really hope that people check out this interview that Wade did, um, about these women and, and why we need to get them out and, uh, what the, the money is kind of going towards. So I'll link that and pretty please check it out.